Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I met somebody that was changing my idea of relationships. Like, why do you have to be in just one? Mm-hmm. And um, it was tearing me to pieces because I couldn't be in both relationships. And um, this guy made me a cup of tea and he forgot that I took sugar in it. And it really uh, hurt my feelings because after all I'd shared with him and how many cups of tea have I had with this person and he forgot that I took sugar in my tea. And that sounds like a little thing to you, Mike. The little things in life, but they count. But it was like, well, wait a minute. Which girl did you think I was that didn't take sugar? Because this wasn't, like, I've never done this with this person before. I had a cup of tea. <laughs> and the English make tea, so they should know what they're doing as far as the tea <laughs> thing. If, if, if this would have been the American, we could have let him slide on this because they don't know what they're doing with tea anyway. <laughs> But he did, and he didn't know, and it made me so mad, and I wrote this song, and I recorded it, like, within an hour of when this happened, and that's that song. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Sugar, a B-side from Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. Don't say the morning's come Don't say it's up to me If I could take 25 minutes out of the record books Sugar me sugar. Hi, David. Hey, Eve. How are you? I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this cheat day. Finally get some sugar. Well, it is Sunday. I know. Sunday fun day. What are your thoughts about the song Sugar? Mm, I have a lot of thoughts. Is it childhood recollections? Is it about, you know, imaginary trysts with strangers? Is it about unrequited love? Is it about carbs? I don't know. We're going to find out. What do you think? I think it's about carbs. Same. At least that's how I choose to hear it. When it comes down to it. It's her giving us permission. I don't need permission, but I'll take it anyway. How many sugars do you take in your tea? Well, I don't take any tea, actually, in my sugar. You just open sugar packets and pour the sugar straight into your mouth. (laughs) Exactly. How's your year shaping up, David? Fine. It's spring. It's officially spring. Spring haze is lifting or settling in. I'm not sure. Either way, it's spring. It's a confusing song. It's a confusing song, yes. It's a confusing season. It's always being trapped between worlds. It's not summer. Mm -hmm. It's not winter. Are you ready to be out of this pandemic? Are you vaccinated? I am not vaccinated, but almost everyone I know and love is. I'm the last man standing. I've generously allowed everyone else to go first. I'm like, no, no, after you. Well, you've always been generous, David. Have I? Well. Don't, don't walk it back. (laughs) Don't walk it back. 
So what were your very first thoughts? What was your first relationship with Sugar? Like, did you hear it live? Did you hear it on a bootleg? How did you know this song existed? Yeah, no, I got the China single pretty early on in my fandom, and I remember it very clearly. I got it in San Diego when I was visiting my grandparents, and I can still picture their living room, and I sat on the couch with my disc man and listened to it. So that was the first time I'd heard all of the B-sides that are on China, and that was during the time, you know, when Tori could do absolutely no wrong, and every song was like, oh my god she's blowing my mind so yeah and i love i actually love sugar and controversial i'll say it out of the gate i will take the studio version over the live version any day of the week or my life it's a unique sound for tori and especially during this period to have no piano it's all synthy and produced and very atmospheric in a way that the rest of little earthquakes really wasn't so yeah that's so interesting where the times where you and i fall on exact opposite sides of a line you know because give me live any day of the week i don't want that studio version i love it just kidding i do love the studio version but i don't have as much of a connection to it so i misspoke on a recent episode that my aunt did take me to hastings to buy like she was going to buy me a cd and then i found all these tory singles i recall what they were i got the crucify single the winter single and the happy worker soundtrack that's what I got. Was it the U.S. Crucify EP or the U.K. Crucify single? It was the U.S. Crucify so EP. So it was the covers, not Mary yeah, and Yeah, definitely my the covers. Head. No, no, none of those. I didn't get those till later. So the very last single I ever got from the album, Little Earthquakes, was the China single. And I got that years later. I would say like after Tavina Sabat came out. Mm. Not that I hadn't already heard Sugar. Of course I'd heard Sugar, but my first, my connection to Sugar was on the Hey Jupiter EP. So that was like my first product that I had that had sugar on it and that's kind of how i mean i liked the song but i loved i loved what she did with it with the band okay I loved it you certainly must have heard the original studio version prior to 1999 no i think the first time i ever heard the studio version the original studio version was when i got the china single honestly Honestly. Were you surprised after hearing the live versions? Well, no, I was more surprised at how the production sounds a lot like Hey Jupiter, Dakota. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'd already heard Dakota when I heard Sugar. That's a memory that's sticking out to me. I can't quite recall the chronology, but I know it was very late in the game that I finally heard the Sugar studio version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember being a little disappointed by it because not that it's not amazing, but like I had already heard the Sugar Hey Jupiter and I loved so much what she had done with it in 98. And I feel like that was my least preferred version. Mm. But it's the version from which all other versions are born. So how can you hate the mother and love the children? You can't. (laughs) You can't do it. All right. Well, I'm glad both incarnations of Sugar are equally represented then. Sugar's a song that has transformed. You can just eat her in her original powder form or dissolve her in water. Either way, it's good. Right. Although not water. I don't know why you'd put sugar in water. That would be weird. She'll get a water. If you want to make a simple syrup, it's not weird. That's true. You could boil her and make her into hard candy. That's true. She's versatile. She's very versatile. She's verse. Is this on your top 10? Nope. I wouldn't go that 20. far. How about you? No. Top 50? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know that I've ever compiled the top 50. Oh, we should. Oh, that's what we should do on Clubhouse. I don't even know if it would be in my top 50. Nothing against Sugar, that Tori just has a lot of great songs that I might have to rank above it. Yeah. The first 12 are all of Under the Pink. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> the next 12 are all of the Earthquakes. Uh-huh. The next 18 belong to Boys for Pele. True. 
What do you want from me? Stop writing so much music if you yeah. want sugar to appear on if your you top 50. If you want us 50. to rank your work, stop making it so we can get started. <laughs> so I'd like to first and foremost say thank you to our wonderful historian, librarian, and pastry chef, Shager. Hmm. Shager Stymac. Mm-hmm. Don't shay mornings come. <laughs> Don't shay it's up to me. <laughs> And Shager brings me Shager. <laughs> Not only has Shay done the most with the least, us, but she also sent us t-shirts. She sent us amazing t-shirts. Thank you, Shay, for that. Like, as if she doesn't already do enough for us, it's amazing. She got us those wonderful candle holders for Christmas, and now t-shirts, David. We can split them. I'll send you some. Thank you. You're welcome. But I have to warn you, they're 3X, and you'll simply be swimming in them. I'm counting on it. I'm going to belt mine and wear it as a dress. Not me. Mine's tight. I'm wearing it as a crop top. Okay. <laughs> but speaking of Shay, we have her sister, Lynn Nettleton, on today's show. Lynn is a super fan of Sugar, turns out. So she'll be on the show later to tell us everything we need to know about her love for sugar. Should we get this party started? Let's do it. Pour some sugar on me. Again, David? Mm, Always. This is a cover of Sugar by Ray Toy. I love this cover. David, get ready. David, are you ready? I'm sorry. I didn't want to break the spell. David, shh. Don't break the spell. by Tori Amos appears on the following physical media. It originally appears on the China CD, cassette, 12-inch, and 7-inch vinyl singles in UK, France, and Germany. It was never released in the United States. Are you shocked? That was me in stunned silence. I am (laughs) shocked and disgusted, especially because if anyone knows anything about America and Americans, it's that we can't get enough. Pour corn syrup directly into my mouth. Give me all (laughs) the sugar. Why didn't we get it? I don't know. It's a beautiful ballad, China, first of all. So it should have been released here in the United States officially, but it wasn't. And amazing b-sides right i mean well sugar and humpty dumpty and flying dutchman exactly this release was a banger it was a banger it's possibly the first banger (laughs) how is it even considered a single and not an ep with the likes of sugar and flying dutchman that is substantial i know you have to have five i mean i don't know if you're really asking but you have to have five tracks to be considered an ep oh my god i hate the rules that's why she did that i think she doesn't want to release an ep she wants to release a single i will put three songs on my ep because they'll all be amazing and i will call you the day after our first date and not wait for three or whatever it is because there are no rules baby oh that's so sweet follow your heart i agree the china single was released in january 1992 i find it hard 
to reconcile that you are so stunned it wasn't released in the United States and also so stunned that I didn't hear it until the late 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those two things go hand in hand, David. You can only be stunned about one. I think differently of you now. I'm like, Eve didn't hear Studio Sugar until 1999. I don't know. You can't sit with us. We can't be friends. Don't gatekeep, David. Don't gatekeep Sugar. I just came from the gatekeeper. <laughs> one day she'll be coming for you. And now I must see the Reindeer King. Tori's always on the move. She's oh, like, I just yeah. came. I must see the beekeeper. And I just came from the Reindeer King. <laughs> She's always talking to people. And that's what I like about her. Get me Neil on the line. No, I can't hold. No, I can't hold. So what did, what did they do when she said she couldn't hold? They're like, okay, I won't put you on hold then. I'll just put the receiver down and go find him. No, they walked with the cordless phone to get Neil. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, I apologize, Miss Amos. Here, Got it. here he is. Hold on. I'm almost there. I'm walking up the stairs. Here I'm he heading is. to here the he master is. bedroom. Don't yell he's, at me. I see him. I see him. Oh, he's in the bathroom, but I'll keep talking. Well, don't hold. I'm. We're just talking, Neil. <laughs> it was very stressful for whoever was on the other side of the God, line. God, I felt stressed just hearing that now. Tori's <laughs> tapping her stilettoed heel. Sugar next appears on Under the Pink and More Pink, the double CD tour edition that was released in Australia on November 1994, which was the most complete B-side collection at that time. And the only. And the only, yeah, I mean, ever, actually, because <laughs> until a piano. Right. And it only released in Australia. Disgusting. Oh, there it is. I've been waiting. This is <laughs> going to be a new item on our Tory podcast bingo card, our drive all night bingo card. Good morning. Disgusting. Nar. Sugar next appears on the Hey Jupiter EP, which was recorded live on May 15th, 1996, and released in August 1996. And here's a little story beforehand. So I had to get this song together in about um, two hours. And uh, this boy really pissed me off because I had a crush on him, right? And he'd been making tea for me for nine months. Hang on, I'm telling a story. And so the whole thing is he would sit there and ask me. Now, if you're making tea for a girl, right, for nine months, don't you think, guys, I mean, help me out here, your noodle. I know it can hold a lot of information, right? But don't you think you can remember how many sugars a girl takes in her tea after nine months? Yo. Let me tell you what Shay goes through to determine this date. She went back to the dent and found this review. You want to read this review? I do. Tori started a story about a guy who made her tea for nine months. She asked unruly audience members to quiet down. Hang on, I'm telling a story while she told the tale. She asked the guys in the audience if after nine months of making tea for someone, they would remember how many sugar cubes to use. Setup complete. Tori worked her way into sugar. There's also another review found on The Dent where someone else says that she had a little chat before playing Sugar and that you can hear this chat on the CD. So extant reviews from people, human beings with ears and feet that were there. These people reported that she told the story then. So that is an unruly audience. There's the guy who shouts out a request for Father Lucifer, which I support, but not while Tori's talking. <laughs> and I love the woman who, when Tori actually starts the song, she positively shrieks sugar like she is in the middle of sugar rage sugar shock 
I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, she's in Sugar Rush. She really was. Here's a little bit of that performance. A sweet boy when they find you out. Tell me what you think they'll do when they find you got a little in here. Tell me what you think they'll do. Sugar next appears on To Venus and Back CD cassette, not vinyl, released in September 1999, but recorded, The Sugar Was, on November 10th, 1998, in Binghamton Soundcheck. Roll it, Oliver. your least favorite version i guess i'd have to say so between solo piano studio and band wow you know this is actually a litmus test for you and i in our tory fandoms would you say i would i usually yeah. end up team solo team ballad team solo and you're like give me a beat. i always end up team band give me a beat girl uh-huh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the next time we see sugar is on the welcome to sunny florida dvd released in may 2004 well, I was at that show. It's the final show of the Lata Pianos tour and the Scarlet's Walk tour is like the final show of those two years, 2002, 2003. And I was there in the second row, not the front row, second row. Did you throw your ticket down angrily in disgust? Yeah, I had my arms folded the whole time. Mm. No, I was fine. You can see me on the DVD. Have you looked? No. Rude. I can see you anytime I want. Every time I close my eyes, I see your face. Oh, that's so beautiful. You can also Zoom call me, David. No, thank you. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I just won't live up to the picture in your head. You're always in full makeup and hair every time I picture you, so. Definitely don't call then, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> the next time we see Sugar is on a piano, her box set collection released in September 2006, where she compiles both the live version from Soundcheck 98 on disc C and the studio version from 1992 on disc E. What do you think about that, David? It's like to see how the girl grew up. I am ODing on Sugar two versions on this career retrospective it's a sugar high it's a sugar high thank you yes that is more apt <laughs> i got a sugar rush sugar rush well if you want a sugar rush david then head over to 2007 where she releases sugar on 10 not one not two but 10 legs and boots different ones philadelphia boston montreal buffalo pittsburgh indianapolis chicago lawrence west palm beach of course and dallas and i know who I, I don't know She loves this song, especially the band version. Oh, heck yeah. The band version is where it's at for her. I Mm -hmm. agree 1000%. She high fives herself every time she plays it. Yeah, she high fives the piano. That's what she's doing when she's hitting. You think she's hitting the fall board? She's actually giving the boozy a high five. Yeah, when she does the hammers, he used one on me and she does that like fist pump action. She's like, boom, boom. Let's rock it, boozy. Three fist bumps, boom. (laughs) And she should be proud because when this song found the band and when the band found this song... It was a symbiosis of everything that I love about Tori Amos, her deep 
resonant low range. The way that her incessantly keeping a beat can really move you. Like her piano can just like rock you. And then also the guys, you know? Mm -hmm. I love it. And then she curses in it. Oh my God, she does curse. She says a slang for the word Virginia. When they find out you're just a Virginia. My sweet boy. My sugar. And then she wails. (laughs) Virginia. When she goes low, we go high. Oh, we should add harmonies to all of Tori's song. I already do, but we can do it on the air, sure. No, I mean, we should record them. Okay. (laughs) Put that on our list of projects. Our many, many projects. Mm -hmm. Our task list. I want to ask you something before we go into the quotes section, David. What do you think? I know that this song covers a lot of topics, but if you had to boil down this song into a thesis sentence, here is my thesis statement. What would you say? And it has to be one complete sentence. This is a song about, and I want to hear what you say now, and then at the end, we'll see where we've come after the line by line. Okay. So what's it about? Question mark. I think it is a meditation on unrequited love and lovers who do not return your feelings. Maybe even one specific lover. Even looking backwards to childhood kind of crushes. Mm-hmm. Schoolyard crushes. Well, first, David, that was beautifully stated. I want to just tip my hat to you. Thank you. Anyone who uses the words meditation and unrequited in the same sentence. They get my respect. One like equals one respect. Mm, I'd like to introduce the hat tip. So let's get into the quotes, shall we? Alrighty. You want to read this first one from Q Magazine, February 1992. I'm imagining each quote as a pixie stick that you're handing to me that I just pour into my mouth. Give me that sugar. (laughs) Give it to me. Pixie stick the first. I've written a song called Sugar about those people you meet that you'll never have a relationship with. But if you could have 25 minutes alone with them, you'd have this incredible affair. There's something magical and you want to merge with it in every way possible. That's why I could imagine being a carnivore thousands of years ago. You want to merge with them so intensely you could almost eat them. Say we didn't have bodies and blood and guts, but just release these little light energies like colors. Then we could just merge. That's what making love is really about. Your blue connects with my pale orange, a little bit of fire engine red with your lime green. That's what they were doing when they ate someone like their lover or a beaten enemy i get that i've always said i want my funeral to be like the queen of the damned and rice's queen of the damned i want everyone at my funeral to just eat my corpse so i can be part of them forever and they can consume my power which is considerable you know this reminds me of a quote that she said in 96 about how like the most intense thing she could think of in a relationship is to breathe someone in Uh remember that quote yeah i do this is kind of like in line with that is like i want to merge with you like it goes beyond eating you or consuming you it's like i want our energies our spiritual energies our metaphysical energies to merge as one Mm -hmm. and be entwined in smoke you know like inseparable which i love that i think that's really beautiful me too what would your light energy color be good question a deep dark green does that have some sort of uh auric significance i don't know green is my favorite color so i feel like if i were to manifest as a color it would be green but it seems like i don't know fertile creativity promise that's how i like to think of myself i've always thought of you as fertile have you (laughs) when i stare at your 12 children yes i do (laughs) good i'm glad it doesn't have any necessarily like significance about an aura because i don't know the colors of auras and what they mean me either because i was just going to say like a rich purple you would look like the tavinas in back artwork Yeah, like, oh, I love, yeah, that's a great color. Yes, I would. Thank you. So if you're green and I'm purple, what color is this podcast? Yellow, because it'll look like Mardi Gras. It's a nonstop party. Hey. Well, green and purple don't make yellow. No, but green, purple, and yellow together are the Mardi Gras colors. Oh, okay, great. It's a party in here. Yeah. Get on our float. Speaking of party, this is from Hi Folks, Italy, March 1992. No, it's not smoked out, folks. It's like, hello, folks. 
You know, I wrote a piece called Sugar that's about the meetings each of us has for several reasons, almost every day with different people. It happens often if I like a person that even during a short interview, I can establish a feeling so intense that it touches the physical relationship. I wonder if that interviewer was someone like that's her come on. That's her pickup line. You know, even in a short interview like this, I can develop such intense feelings. <laughs> and she ran her fingers up his arm. You know what I mean? Right. You, ever, you ever feel like, <laughs> like that? Like touched his knee, his mm-hmm. little kneecap. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bonjourno. Yeah, so this song obviously is about those intense moments that we share, which every gay man I think knows about. Have you ever been in love for just like a moment? Have you ever known someone that you only knew for a brief time or only spent a brief moment in time with and thought like, wow, I'm utterly devastated by their departing or I'm absolutely in love with them? No, but I've been in love with people that I've never talked to before. (laughs) I mean, not really. Like online? No, in real life. Oh. You know, watching from afar. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? I definitely have. Guys that you spend just a short amount of time with that you think like that touches me on such a deep level, like a deep metaphysical level that she's talking about, right? Where it's so intense that it touches the physical relationship. Excuse me, Eve. Can I be you for a while? I have definitely never had that experience. (laughs) Really? No. I don't feel that deeply. I'm walled off, closed up. I'm sad to hear that. Unapproachable. No, I don't think you're walled off, but I feel perhaps I might be a little too passionate perhaps, you know? I remember having my first feeling like that when I was like 18 or 19. I felt very strongly about somebody that Mm -hmm. um, it was like, I want to consume our energy. I want to combine. Consume, combine, and complete. That's what it was. And did you? I mean, yeah, we did actually. And still 20 years later, he haunts me. (laughs) I expected you to launch into song for Eric just then. Fair boy, your eyes. (laughs) Yes, but from Really Deep Thoughts fanzine, issue three, summer 1993, RDT talked to Ian Thorpe, Tori's sound engineer. RDT 93. RDT is asking about Ian's experience with seeing how Tori writes and how the songs come about and sometimes change. And Ian says... She's very productive, song-wise. She tends to get sucked in. There must be loads of songs in her head. I'm guessing that, but she's not. There are lots of artists who probably just aren't capable of writing loads and loads of songs and picking and choosing the best ones, but Tori seems to be very capable of it. You know, there are always different ideas. There are always songs that come up when you get into a studio. It happens all the time with her. You're doing something and it just happens. That's how Sugar came about, which is one of her favorites. She's not sure whether there should be another version of that. Another version? Well, I don't know. She said, you know, I always wonder about that song, whether I should look at doing it again or what. She likes it. It's a great song. What do you take that to mean? I take that to mean that I know from quotes that we'll read here in a little while that this song was, it just came to her. She was in the studio and she had to do something, right? And so it just sort of came to her. So I take this to mean that they had to commit it to tape then and there, and it was released. That after looking back on it, she found such great stuff in that song, but she would love to have another chance at it, which is why it got revamped so many times, or which is why it got the big band redo. Mm -hmm. This is not new information, but it's still a little surprising to me to be met with the fact that this seemed so hastily done conceived, recorded, and produced because it is such a studio production. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, a solo piano song or something. So the fact that they were able to complete this and that she had other ideas still for how it might have been incarnated is interesting. It's a good point. You know, like when an event is over and you think like, if I got a chance to do that again, I would do this and this and this differently, that kind of idea? Certainly. Or if I had more money, more money, more problems. Yeah, exactly. 
Here's a little clip from CFNY, The Edge, recorded on March 25th, 1994. We're putting this here because of the emotion she's talking about. We all think they fit well into the evolving performance of Sugar. You seem like a very spontaneous person. I mean, you just banged out leather just after talking about it. Um, I was wondering if your concerts are the same way. Are you just too spontaneous? My concerts are uh, much more in-depth because, I mean, I just had Penny a la Arabiata. And so it's kind of right here right now. It's six inches from my voice. And because it's daylight and because we're all here, it's a very different mood than when it's dark. And I usually prepare an hour before I walk on stage. And I call forth different energies that I'm going to work on that night. And I, I tune into the audience and see what's there. You know, it, it's different every night. Sometimes it's... It's, a, it's chaos, sometimes it's um, intimidation, whatever it is. I go in and I work on a certain emotion. So I call forth all sorts of playmates that I have out there to come and line that room. Every night is a completely different performance. The songs take on different meanings and everything's very, very different. So, oh, that's so wonderful, thank you. So, um, the thing is, when I perform live, I have an opportunity to really go into a, de a deep place, more like a journey. When I'm doing this, I get a chance to meet you guys and and sing on the air, but it's very, very different than, than live. Thank you very much. Okay. How can you consciously uh, put together all of these thoughts, emotions, plus be able to read the crowd and still do your show as well? Is, is it a difficult process for you? Well, I've been playing for 27 years. Just more used to it, I guess. Then. And it's kind of like, I think it's the best part of me as a person is when I'm playing. I think when I'm just walking down the street, you know, I'm crabby like half the population. Why did I get away? Why did it take them 25 minutes to serve a cup of coffee? I mean... I don't really like the way I am sometimes, but when I play, I allow myself to be crabby, I allow myself to be joyous, I allow myself to go into really sick thoughts and not judge them. It's not about good or bad when I play. It's about allowing. And if we could do that with ourselves, I encourage it because I think I would have jumped off a building if I couldn't have allowed myself to express different sides of myself. We have such judgments on, ooh, if they knew that I was thinking that right now, they'd really lynch me. You know, that thing, how you're going, God, if, every, if anybody in this crowd knew what I was really thinking. Right. But, so what's wrong with that? There has to be a place where you allow yourself to go, you know, that's how I really felt. There has to be a safe place where you allow yourself that freedom. So I do it in music. So when she talks about calling forth these different energies, do you think that means she's sort of pinpointing something she wants to work through or something that she wants to manifest on the stage? Like when she specifically says intimidation, is she working through some sort of experience of intimidation or does she kind of mean I want to bring an intimidating energy to my performance? I'm trying to imagine because this is the one piece of Tori that I don't think we've ever seen is the building of the set list, right? 
that like moment before in her dressing room. There's never been any video footage, you know, of how that happens. So hearing her say this, I'm thinking like what it would be like in that room. It's probably working through the feeling of intimidation. Like if you're intimidated because for whatever thing that happened that day or someone is in the audience or the crowd working through what can I bring that will make me feel not intimidated. I can bring sugar because I'm really confident in that song. And I know that, that I'm, I can kick ass with that song. I'll start with that because it'll give me confidence to move on to this song, you know, which may be a bit more of a risk taking mm-hmm. adventure. Do you imagine Tori building her set list and pulling in these different elements like she's making a witch's brew? I do, because whenever you're in a city and you're talking to people like Tori does at the meet and greet, right? Like everybody's bringing her something like a different problem almost, you know, not everybody. You know, some people want to say hi and just hug, but like a lot of people have things that they're working through, right? And she's crafting the set list around that. So like she's got Mm -hmm. to figure out like what can heal this collective, I guess like how she said in Native Invader Tour, what can heal this collective trauma that we're all going through because of the Trump presidency, you Mm know? Maybe let's talk about girl moving towards being about America. Maybe that can reframe our thought processes Mm -hmm. and give us hope that one day it will be its own again. I'm just spitballing here, David. That's just my thought. I've never seen her build a set list. Mm-hmm. Bubble, bubble, toil and troubles lament. Fire on the side, burn and cauldron bubble, period. Because there's no title with bubble in it. I'm telling you, David, I'm not anything like Tori Amos and I don't purport to be. But on our Never Shut Up daily show, I've been building these Friday concerts based on what the Torkoal gives us, you know? Uh-huh. And like trying to fill in the blanks. And like, I do feel like Tori Amos building a set list. I'm like, okay, well, I can't put Baker Baker next to this song because that would just kill everybody. Yeah, it's not time for dessert. No, 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 no. Um, Why don't you read this from Q Magazine, May 1994. I was in love with this boy when I was five years old, and I knew we could really make it work. (laughs) I was trying to convince him, and he took this hammer and hit me with it really hard, and (laughs) you're going to really hate me for this, but I was so stupid. I tried to get my dad, the minister, to invite them over because I wanted to see him and conquer his heart. I was going to give him bubblegum, and then he let me into his treehouse to play with his toy machine guns. I just wanted to be with him so bad, he called me a nerd. This kid was violent. He's playing with toy machine guns and hitting girls with hammers? Trouble. I bet it was like one of those play school hammers. I can't imagine that it was a real hammer because ow (laughs) because ouchie ouchie do you think it was a play school hammer if he's five now that you say that yeah probably well he's not five she says i was in love with this boy when i was five yeah you could have been 10 with a real hammer who knows who knows where do you think he hit her with it on the arm really i was pictured right on the (laughs) knee like a reflex test and then she kicks (gasps) him oh my god involuntarily boom Ooh, i cringed (laughs) no i always picture in the arm but this quote has always stuck with me. I remember the first time I read this quote thinking like, that is my life. At the time that I read this quote, I was like, that's what I'm doing with whatever I was doing and with whatever boy I was like wrapped up in right then is like, mm-hmm. he is being awful to you, yet you are drawn to trying to make him not be awful to you. And that's never going to work. It's never going to work. If he's awful to you, he's never going to value you. So it's better and easier to move on. But sometimes when your heart's involved, you can't hear that. So I think that's what she's cutting to the heart of what she's cutting to right here is that I liked him so much that I wanted to win him over. And then that's kind of, there's like a little blame and like he's being mean to me because of something I'm doing. And so maybe if I can be nicer or make really nice dinner, then he can like me. That's the codependent story of my life. It really is. It's really sad. You never want to enter into anything feeling like you have to convince someone of something. 
This is what we were talking about earlier, a story about how the song came to be. I believe this was on Tori and Her Mask, one of the first bootlegs I ever Uh purchased. You love Tori and Her Mask. You can't stop talking about Tori and Her Mask. She was ahead of her time. She knew we were all going to be masked up. I know. (laughs) Well, I was just about to ask you, when you think of Tori and Her Mask, what kind of mask is she wearing? Medical. Surgical. Yeah, I've always thought like a masquerade mask with feathers and like cat eyes, but now I think like definitely double mask. I know. I used to think of a masquerade mask too, of course. But now I think N95s. (laughs) Magical. Beautiful. (laughs) What a great performance. Mm -hmm. This is actually live on stage in Tampa, Florida, August 3rd, 1994, The Late Show. This is what she said before the song. I was right on this train now to the West Country in England because I had to make a B-side in about 12 hours. And um, usually I cheat, right? I have like something already written when I'm eating like egg salad or something. I scratch things down on my light bill that I never pay. And it's always hanging around and I always have some, you know, a cheat. I didn't have a cheat this time. So I was like going down to the West Country. And uh, you know, you try and sit on the train and write about stuff. I had like little trolls with me and I'd be like writing songs about my little trolls. That ain't gonna cut it, you know? And um, that's when you get like delusions of serious grandeur. You know, nobody wants to hear about my fucking trolls. So anyway, I mean, I'm sitting there going, okay, that didn't work. And uh, there was like nobody cute on the train, so I couldn't like get off or anything. And, um, and um, but what's cute to me is like sick to most people, so you know. You won't touch that one. Okay, so anyway, I end up at this place, right? This house where I'm recording, and nothing's coming. And all of a sudden, this little voice pops in my head, right here on my shoulder, and Freddie Mercury had just passed the week before. And uh, in his voice, he sang this to me. I guess I really should have given him publishing, but it didn't work. I see a little sugaretta of a song. (laughs) Good one, David. So I'm sorry. I need to ask you, and I feel like when Tori has told this, well, Tori prefaces this song a lot with a story. And it's usually some variation of this story of being on the train, particularly on the Under the Pink tour. So when she says specifically, so I couldn't like get off, what does that mean? Does she mean just like enjoy looking at a handsome man or she's actually going to like pleasure herself while riding on a train? I need to know. I need to know. I think you know. I don't know. She couldn't like get her rider's rocks off. There's not anyone on the train that she could pine over or fantasize about into a song. That's what I think she means. I don't think she's masturbating on a train, David. You never know. But I want to talk about this idea that Freddie Mercury co-wrote the song with her or at least sang to her the song in her head, which this is the first time, but not the last time, that we have Tori talking about a vision of an actual person a real person that sang a song to her yeah one of several songs that was literally ghost written we have john lennon in hey jupiter we have freddie mercury and sugar who else do we have kevin aqua from secret spell and anastasia 
and mysterious African woman from A Thousand Oceans. You're right. That's what I was trying to remember. Um, Freddie Mercury died November 24th, 1991, which was two days after Thanksgiving. So this song was either written in that last week of November or early December, which for a turnaround to release China in January of 92 on CD, they needed something fast. They sure did. That's a very quick turnaround to print, market, to produce the CD, to print the booklets, everything. What were they doing with Mary? Yeah, where the hell was Mary? And Take to the Sky. No joke. What about Sweet Dreams? Like, why didn't they just use those? I don't know. Do you think that's a testament to just how much they were crafting every single release at this point? And they weren't just like, well, we'll throw whatever besides we have left over on here. Like, this isn't right. We need a better sag. Yeah, well, I can see that they would not want to just have China into Humpty Dumpty into Flying Dutchman. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't have just done China, Flying Dutchman, Humpty Dumpty. Uh, Maybe they could have done that. That actually doesn't sound bad for the single. Are you a record executive? Yeah, I should be. Yes. There are no record labels anymore, David. That's true, but there were. You could have been. I could have been. You missed your calling. I always feel like I was born too late. I was born too early. 95, you know, way too Mm, early. Right, right, right. Uh Uh-huh. Are you a big Queen fan? I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a big Queen fan, but I like Queen as much as anybody else. Really? You know, whenever you hear a Queen song randomly on the radio, you're like, yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, exactly. I like the singles. I like the hits. We are the champions. Speaking of Queens, though, I think it's time we bring up another topic, David. And I'm not trying to have anyone arrested, and I'm not trying to indict anyone without a fair trial. But... Have you heard this song from Queens of the Stone Age? It's called Autopilot. Take a listen, David. I think we should try to get someone arrested. (laughs) Yeah. It's clear. It's clear. It's on the page. The similarities are shocking. They are. You know, someone mentioned it to us. Starlash on Twitter mentioned it to us, and we were able to listen to it. And of course, you know, I think both of us were kind of like, oh, please. And then we heard it, and we're like, just jaws on the floor. So have these men arrested. Have these queens of the Stone Age arrested. This came out for them in 2000, so it was after Sugar 98. These queens, yes. After Sugar 98, so we've confirmed that Tori is not, in fact, the thief. She is the victim. She's the survivor. Do you think the song is called Autopilot as a nod to the fact that they plagiarized it? (laughs) Kind of. Writing in quotes (laughs) this song on Autopilot, they're like, eh, we're just going to phone this one in. And by that, we mean use someone else's song. Yeah, exactly. But for this song, this is from Prodigy Online, The Chat. These are questions from fans. This was submitted by Steffi Kirk in September 1994. Hi, Tori. I've heard that you said that Sugar and Here in My Head have gotten you in trouble. Out of curiosity, what kind of trouble? In any case, they both sound really great live, as most of your songs do. Dear Steffi, God, you don't miss a trick. Well, sometimes I think my problem is, you know how people have harem fantasies? Well, I don't have that. I have Cleopatra fantasies, where she just falls for all these different men. And I meet so many interesting men that sometimes my little heart goes bitter batter and it's inappropriate. Thanks, Tori Amos. So obviously she's wrote this song about someone who brings her sugar, right? Wink, wink. And Eric Ross is sitting there saying, I don't bring her sugar, so this isn't about me. He's like, wait, what? Nothing, nothing. I think that's what she means by got in trouble. <laughs> in transmission. Thanks, Tori Amos. What do you think? 
Possibly. This was from September 1994. So I don't know if Eric was still hanging around, but someone. No, but she said, it's because she said the song got me in a bit of trouble. Oh, I, I see. Right, right. That makes sense. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, why else would it get her in trouble? And here in my head, too, because Thomas Jefferson wasn't born in your backyard. Obviously, she's singing about someone who's not Eric. Right. He's like, I never, I don't like apple green ice cream. I never said that. I hate green ice cream. I never forget what time it is. It's 2 p.m. and we're going to talk about this now. Who did you go to the fair with? (laughs) 2 a.m. This is from Blender, February, March, 2002. So this is a significant time after the last quote, eight years later. And she's talking about beginning to record Under the Pink. And they ask her, were the songs already written at that point? And she said, I had pretty good year with me. I had Sugar, which was a B-side that I thought I was going to re-record and put on the album. But enough material came that I didn't have to do that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And at some point, I remember her including here in my head with those other two also, Mm -hmm. that they were newer songs that she was initially holding for Under the Pink. Which tells me that at least in part in 92, 93, she's not necessarily thinking like, save the best songs for the B-sides, you know? Mm -hmm. Like she's got these songs and then they end up becoming Mm B-sides at that point. But now we know that like her favorite songs starting with Under the Pink don't make the record. Yeah. So instead of Sugar, we got a Honey, which, you know, fine. Hold the sugar and give me a honey, honey. Yeah. So if she had re-recorded Sugar, do you think it would have sounded more like the live band version? And how would that have fit on Under the Pink? I don't. I actually don't think it would have sounded like that. I was just, when we were reading that quote, I was thinking that it would have sounded like honey. It would have been all on piano. What? Yeah, I really do. I don't think it would have sounded like the band. I think that she had to play with Matt and John and Caton to get that for that song. Mm. I think she had to say like, oh, let's try Sugar. And then it just kind of worked in rehearsal or in sound check. And then they were like, yeah, let's do that. But I don't think she would have thought of that on her own. I think it would have been a piano track like Honey. What would you think of another kind of career retrospective from Tori of re-recordings, studio re-recordings of songs like Sugar, where we'd get more acoustic versions with like acoustic guitar and piano or like an acoustic version of God? I can see it for God, and I would love an acoustic recording of Sugar that was the arrangement for the band, you know, that had that driving rhythm. Mm. That's what I would want, but it doesn't have that in their studio, so I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, I'll take anything. Obviously, I'm going to buy it, and I'll buy it in triplicate, but (laughs) if I had my druthers, I will definitely take a re-recording, like an acoustic rendition of God. That would Mm -hmm. be awesome. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, it was my idea. Oh, okay, great. We'll get (laughs) executive producer credits coming your way, kid. Yeah, what would we call it? I don't know. I would call it Dem Bones. You know, some of the later songs have nice bones. The song has nice bones. (laughs) Well, on that note, should we hit the line by line? Hit it. Don't say morning's come. Don't say morning's come. Is there any worse feeling than still being awake when you see the sun come up and you're like, oh, when you lose track of time, you haven't gone to sleep yet. Oh, guess I'm not going to do it now. Worse feeling? I guess it depends on the scenario or the situation or what you've been doing all night. I guess. I feel like there's been awful times where the sun's come up. I'm like, no. no. Yes. But then there have been amazing times where it's like, wow, we totally lost track of time and it's the morning. Mm -hmm. But I think in this instance, it's probably more towards what you said. How do you take this line? I can see it both ways. I kind of like the way you just put it because it's like, oh, we got lost in this amazing conversation. And someone points Mm -hmm. out that the sun is coming up and you're like, what? That can't be right. But more so, I've seen this as like, yeah, trying to hang on to a moment. And like a spell is kind of always broken. The spell of things that happen late at night when the light sort of hits it and when the sun comes up, things shift and you're like, oh, 
I wish I could sort of hang on to that. Yeah, that's how I for sure take this line that the spell will be broken by morning time. Yeah. This magic that we found is gone. Soon before the sun begins to rise, I must give so I can live. Do you think give is Sugar's younger daughter? You don't think she's older and wiser? I mean, yes. It depends on how you look at them. Are the mothers the ones that came before? Or is it about the subject matter that makes it a mother subject or Subject matter. Oh, well then, yeah. It's her older, wiser mother. Give is. Give is, yes. yeah. Yes, okay, right. God, I hope no one clips just that part and plays it for anyone who doesn't know anything about Tori. Know, we need a family tree for these songs. Matriarch, her grandmare, give, begat sugar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give, begat sugar, who begat honey. <laughs> no. Up to me. Don't say it's up to me. I always see that as kind of someone offering you the choice of staying or not. Like, yeah, you can stay over or we can keep hanging out. Something might happen, though. A tryst, a lover's tryst. Well, why wouldn't you want that to be up to you? Because maybe you think it's not a good idea and you kind of want to be able to put responsibility on the other person or let them make the choice. Like there's a little bit of self-mistrust. Like, if it were up to me, I might do it. Yeah. So let's let it not be up to me. Exactly. But also maybe there's sort of a little resentment that there's sort of a lukewarm thing happening. Like, I could go either way. I'll leave it up to you. You can stay if you want. I don't care. Yeah, considering the story before the song in 96 on the Hey Jupiter EP, giving context to the relationship that she's singing about in the song, Mm -hmm. it feels there is like a tepidness there. Like, he doesn't care one way or the other. Yeah, and maybe she's wanting him to fight for it more. Yeah, it's like, where do you want to eat dinner? I don't care. It's up to you. I don't care. No, make a choice. Make a choice. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing worse than ambivalence. This is why, David, there has you have to be either team noun or team verb. You can't be team both. Don't say it's up to me. You just can't. Make a choice. Yeah. Don't take the easy way out. If you want me to stay over, you need to say team noun. If you want to be my lover, you got to get with team noun. <laughs> That's your version. Those were actually the original lyrics. Actually, if you listen back to the demo. And then I chime in, you got to, you got to verb, 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 verb. <laughs> if I could take 25 minutes If I could take 25 minutes out of the record books. What would you do with them? How do you take that? I take that as I want to erase this time that we shared together. Really? You think it's like an eternal sunshine of a spotless mind thing? I think so. Like, I wish that hadn't happened. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. What Mm. do you think? You must think something different. I do. Well, I can't wait to hear it. I've always seen it as... If I had kind of like a wish to make, I could do something that would not be recorded and no one would know about it. It would be sort of like wiped from history. But if I had freedom to do whatever I wanted, kind of like the purge. (laughs) If I had 25 minutes to have free reign with no repercussions and no one would know about it, like what would you do? And to me, that goes to what Tori has said about like those people you run into. And if you could, you would have like a short affair with them or whatever she says when you connect with someone. See, that's great. And I see that. If I could step out of the record books for 25 minutes, Mm -hmm. what I would do if those harbor lights had just been a half a mile inland. I know. Who knows what I would have done? Yeah, I see that completely. Now I say it must be both. (laughs) Oh, really? Team both. I'm very curious to know how she meant it because to me, you have evidence that you can back up that thought that she's actually said and I'm down for it but then also their story still makes me feel that we're crawling into the song in a tepid like that it's about it someone who just doesn't care about her right 
But then she's also talking about that it's a fantasy about this guy, right? Yeah. It could also be like, oh, what I would do. This is where, and I guess there could be multiple storylines or multiple thoughts happening here. But I get a little wrapped up in the information that Tori's given us about the backstory of the song. It's like, is it about frustration with the guy in a relationship who really doesn't know you and isn't as invested and you want more for him? Is it about this fantasy with someone you feel a connection with, but you're not ever going to have that moment with them? It seems like there are multiple things happening here. And for the, sure. it switches sure. right after that first line, like from storyline A to storyline B. I mean, there's definitely a shift, right? Unless we're taking Don't Say Mornings Come completely wrong. I feel like if we are going to read Don't Say It's Up To Me as that moment of wanting more from someone who's giving you kind of a lukewarm response to something, like if that's the guy who doesn't know how many sugar she takes in her tea, right? then I have a hard time connecting that to if I could take 25 minutes out of the record book. So I feel like right. if we're going to read that line that way, then there's a shift here. But if it's more so, don't say it's up to me. I need to make this decision. We've been spending this incredible night together. The sun's coming up. Am I going to draw this out? What would I do if I could take the next 25 minutes out of the record? But like, that's all part of the same thought storyline to me. So unless don't say mornings come is a metaphor for the end of her crush. You know, if this really hot, sensual, exciting crush is the evening time, and then he asks how many sugars she takes in her tea, the morning is coming, the dawn is breaking, and it's kind of over. The spell has been lifted. And then maybe don't say it's up to me becomes a metaphor or, you know, her own Tory phrasing for like, don't say I'm alone again, or don't say I'm here on my own again. Up to me. It's up to me to keep on moving. I would propose that the cute story about the guy not knowing how many sugar she takes is relevant only in so much as that's what gave her the metaphor or why she chose sugar. But other than that, he's not really present. That the song really is about fantasy and unrequited love. Yeah. Not frustration with a current boyfriend or whatever who's not giving you what you want. I don't think that's really present in the song. And she does say in that story, it got her into trouble, which we can only assume she's trying to throw us off the scent. Right. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Sugar, he brings me sugar. And maybe this song was written as a reaction to that guy who didn't know how many sugar she took, meaning she's going to retaliate by sort of spitting this fantasy of someone, let's say, better, who could give her what she wanted. I always took that as a metaphor. Obviously, I mean, it's not even a difficult metaphor. Like, it's not sugar that he's bringing her. Like, yeah, she talked about in the story, the sugar's in her tea. But I always took that as like sweetness and love making. I take it as like, you won't bring me sugar? Well, fine. I know someone who will. And by that, I mean sugar in my tea, but also the good loving. Yeah. Penis. It brings me penis. Do you think she wrote that on the back of her light bill on the train? It was like, man, no. Ooh, that'll, that'll be controversial. Troll dolls. <laughs> you bring me troll dolls. What if the melody had stayed the same, but she was just experimenting with different lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm on a train. There's something about bringing someone sugar, too, because we all love sugar. It's not good for you in large quantities, but we all love it right? We love sweetness. It makes life sweet. It makes life worth living. Not that these are mutually exclusive, but do you think she's talking about 
romantic love or sexual love. Like, pour some sugar on me, if you know what I mean. Yes, I do think she's talking about sweetness and romantic love and sex and sexual love. So it's all of them. That he's fulfilling a need, mostly sexual. I hear the song is very sexual, but okay. there's also this romance going on behind the sexuality, which is more one-sided, but she's in love with him. Or maybe just even in love with the feeling. Like, it's just a good feeling. But if we want to explore that romance, it goes into this next verse. Bobby's collecting bees. How, how much he used one on me. Bobby's collecting bees and hammers, he used one on me. So this is, to me, going back, like, why would she think about this guy who's bringing her sugar or being sexy with her? Why would that take her back to a guy that really hurt her in some way or someone that she really tried to get to notice her? I think sugar, he brings me sugar, like that chorus is kind of her settling into fantasy or looking at a fantasy relationship because she's not being given, her needs aren't being fulfilled in her current situation. So then in the next verse, she sort of looks back through time when other situations have let her down or when she felt bullied by a boy or her feelings were reciprocated by a boy. And sugar at this point doesn't necessarily represent a real person. It's kind of a fantasy relationship. Following that thread, that fantasy thread, what if the first four lines, don't say morning's come, don't say it's up to me, if I could take 25 minutes out of the record books, what if she's having the fantasy then is kind of brought back into the moment where he's just bringing her sugar for her tea, you know, and then that becomes the metaphor. Mm. Like, this is just the prologue, and he sets down the little sugar dish in front of her, and (laughs) her head goes up, looks up into the sky, and then she's taken back in time. Yeah, I can see that. We should shoot a music video. Let's do it. Bobby's collecting bees. How, how he used one on me? We talked about this earlier, but what a jerk. What a jerk. What a cliche little boy. Like out there collecting bugs, doing gross little boy things with his magnifying glass. Then he has his little toy tool set and he's hitting girls with his hammer. (laughs) Don't waste your time, Tori. You can do better. There used to be a website called Collecting Bees, right? Yeah. It was just pictures of B. Arthur, though. No, it was like her bootlegs. Oh, right. Cold wall with little boys. Get him with a bubble gum tray. I feel like this is the young part of us that isn't cool, that wants to be with the cool kids or sitting at the right table in the club and you're not feeling accepted. And maybe you have a crush on one of the boys that's on the in crowd and she has said she thought she could sort of, you know, barter for someone's affection by giving them gum or whatever a little kid would do to think you could like get someone to like you. Like maybe if I just give him my favorite toy or my bubble gum, he'll like me. And how you can kind of carry that throughout your life too. There's something like, why does it appear here? If not that it is a reflection of the current situation. It's important to note in the lyric book that the first time she said it, it was sugar, he brings me sugar. As like, if in the moment he's bringing her sugar, or currently, maybe it's an ongoing affair, sugar, he brings me sugar, or an ongoing service relationship, a man brings her tea and sugar. But now it's sugar, bring me sugar in the lyrics book. It's almost like a command or a plea or a desire. Yeah, I think of it as a plea. And again, I I think that's where we're in this fantasy. Have you ever thought of sugar as a term of endearment? Like sugar, comma? Yeah. How about some sugar, sugar? Mm Mm-hmm. 
there is no comma in the lyric book, but when we were looking at it, the first thing I thought was sugar, bring me sugar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's not necessarily how she sings it, but I did think it was a term of endearment in the first iteration on this in this line. I've never thought that. I think it's possible, but I've always heard that as like a line break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But in looking at it on the page, it looks like sugar, bring me sugar. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> Doritos, bring me Doritos. Cheetos. And all the robins bring, bring me many things but sugar. He brings me sugar. I know the robins bring, bring me many things. So David put in a little list of 10 of the most popular beliefs about Robin superstitions. Do you want to read these? I do. Robin folklore. Robins appear when loved ones are near, is a commonly held belief. A robin tapping on the window of a house can indicate an illness or death. Seeing a robin close by denotes good luck is on its way. Bad luck will follow you if you deliberately harm a robin or its blue eggs. If a bride sees a robin on her wedding day, she will have a happy marriage. A robin in a cage puts heaven in a rage. Bad luck will follow until you set it free. Robins feeding in your garden means important news is on its way. If a robin flies into your house through an open window, a death will soon happen. When a robin enters your house in November, it represents good luck. The significance of seeing a robin fight another robin indicates a new phase of life. Hmm. So it seems like there are a lot of beliefs around robins being kind of messengers from the spirit world almost, or kind of harbingers of death. So I think that's interesting for a lot of reasons, particularly because Tori has sort of credited Freddie Mercury with, let's say, literally ghostwriting the song. So I feel like the Robins could be literally bringing many things in the song, including a message from beyond or this song itself from Freddie Mercury. What do you think? I think that's very valid. I've always taken that line. I know the Robins bring me many things as the muses. The ether has brought me, it brings me many things like... um, song lyrics and music melodies and happiness and sadness and the world has delivered all of this to me but there's one thing that i'm missing and that's what he provides Mm -hmm. and then the robins i like this list that you made because it feels like the robins are a metaphor for the universe and it feels like this list supports that in some ways because the whole line is i know the robins bring bring me many things but sugar he brings me sugar so there's one thing that she's missing I think the overriding theme here in terms of Robin, what Robins are associated with is love and relationship. So I think that kind of makes Mm -hmm. sense in the context of the song. Like she's kind of imploring, asking the Robins to bring her this fantasy man or this fantasy relationship. You read this as her imploring the Robins? I think that's one way of looking at it. That's interesting. So then it becomes almost like a dialogue with the universe or the Robins. Mm-hmm. Like, are you thinking specifically Robins or are you thinking that they're a metaphor? You know, I can see it both ways. I'm thinking too, like, Cinderella. Like, I, I this is just keeps coming to my mind. So I have to say it, like, her being able to communicate with birds. I know that that's not anything Tori's ever really talked about, but I'm saying, like, she's able to communicate, obviously, with a, a completely metaphysical other world that I don't have access to, right? Mm-hmm just at least in song making. So I feel like she's connected in that way to things around her like that. Yeah, I get that. She's there in her chapel of birds, maybe. But I think mm-hmm. I've always seen in this case, like a Robin is a spiritual being or like an emissary that's there to help her. And when she sees them, it indicates good things. I like that interpretation. I just wonder about the but. Like they bring good things, but sugar. He brings me sugar. I don't want to get too hung up on the but because I think it could have been and. 
but maybe that's again the moment where she's sort of pinged back into reality it's like mm. but sugar he brings me sugar he doesn't know how many i can see it both ways too like he brings me all the sweetness in the world or but he just brings me sugar <laughs> and he doesn't know exactly. me exactly like she's pinged back in yeah he doesn't know after me. nine months yo like after all of this like he can bring me anything but he brings just brings me sugar mm-hmm. sad because it's like sugar is what makes life worth living and sugar is what you crave and if he's literally just bringing her sugar how unsatisfying if you want his sugar and all he's giving you is sugar it sucks if you want his sugar and all he's giving you is sugar god i feel like as we track the song sugar is rolling and unrolling coiling emerging Eve, if you will <laughs> i think at certain points in the song sugar is just literal sugar and it represents disappointment or someone not being able to give you what you want or need and then it sort of pivots and represents potential and ideal love one word means two different things i don't believe it get into it team everything no <laughs> no, I see that. Like, it's like a sugar cube dissolving in your coffee. Mm-hmm. And the coffee is our minds, and it's dissolving knowledge into our minds. Oh, my God. Yes. Tori's brainwashing us. You also added this quote from Blue Velvet, which is a film by David Lynch from 1986, starring Isabella Rossellini and Kyle MacLachlan. Do you want to talk about that? And Laura Dern, who delivers this monologue. Oh, yeah. And Laura Dern. In the dream, there was our world, and the world was dark because there weren't any robins, and the robins represented love. And for the longest time, there was just this darkness, and all of a sudden, thousands of robins were set free, and they flew down and brought this blinding light of love. seem like that love would be the only thing that would make any difference and it did so I guess it means Early in her career, Tori was watching a lot of movies, it seemed, and she would reference them often. Like from state, she'd be like, have you guys seen Cape Fear? Have you guys seen Thelma and Louise? So I would not at all be surprised if Tori had watched Blue Velvet. And I don't know how directly this influenced this song, if it was meaning if it was intentional on her part, or if she had kind of like a half memory of it floating around in her mind. But there's this monologue about Robins as again, kind of messengers. I see that. When the Robins come, there is no more trouble. And they're bringing love. And they're bringing love. But he just brings sugar. Mm-hmm. So sad. As far as I can tell, I've been gone for my house now. As far as I can tell, I've been gone for miles now. There's no way to truly understand this line. Like, we can't ask Tori what this meant, this exact line. We could. Ever in any, we could, but it have ever have her be 
in any way honest with us or to even explain what this one particular line means. So I may be reaching. That was scathing, Eve. What do you mean? There's no way we could expect her to ever in any way be honest with us. <laughs> well, she hasn't. Like her songs are personal to her and she's, she says she prefers to keep the meaning to herself, you know, especially when it comes to lines, right? Like leave it open to interpretation. But I have always taken this. And the reason I'm even saying this is because I've always heard this line. As far as I can tell, I've been gone for miles now in relation to what she said about the song on the Hey Jupiter EP, whereas the song got her into a lot of trouble. And we know it's because she was dating Eric, right? But I hear as far as I can tell, I've been gone for miles now, meaning like I'm just kind of going through the motions in whatever relationship I'm in. Mm -hmm. I guess when I'm in that space, I hear this line like a crystal clear bell. And it starts here. Like, this is one of my favorite Tory bridges. And it starts here. Get ready. <laughs> it all begins here. I can sort of see that as being in that place of going through the motions and like maybe being at the end of a relationship, but not quite ready to pull the trigger where you're again, sort of like losing yourself in fantasy and yeah. thinking about what might be or who might be. Like, it's not quite over, but I've been gone for miles, mm -hmm. which it just is making me think of. I'm losing you in my rear view. Mm. But I can also see it as like, he's looking for her, the guy that brought her sugar, and she's well beyond him now. And it, well, I do think it's interesting that she says I've been gone for miles now, as opposed to using a way to mark a passage of time. Like I've been gone for days, years, or weeks now. Do you think that just sounds better? Or it sort of captures we're traveling together, but I'm not really present. That, and I feel like this is the part that was written on the train. Uh-huh. The train that she's literally on when she has to write the song. Zoning out. Yeah. Like she's left him far behind. Mm. You know that I know I don't know me Very well you know and I know I don't know me very well. That sort of takes me back to the beginning of the song where we were looking at a question of trusting oneself. Like, I don't know if I'm in a place to make the best decisions right now. I don't know what's good for me. A thousand percent. And I also think, too, there are people who know you better than you know yourself who, like, because they are watching you and they watch your reactions and they watch what you do. They know what you're going to do. Are you doing the live version of Sugar now? I like it. You're getting us there. You're like, you just oh, watch what they do. Sweet Eve when they find you out. No, you think about people in your life who constantly are breaking up and getting back together with the same people. Mm -hmm. They may think it's final. Like we broke up, it's over. But you know they're going to get back together. Because that's the pattern and you've been observing it, whereas they don't have the luxury of observation. You know, they're living it. And so along with like what you said about the self-mistrust, but also lack of awareness. Or even if you're talking in the context of a relationship, it's kind of like you're an imposter, right? It's spoken imposter syndrome. I know that I don't know what I'm doing, but you also know that and you can't stop telling me. Mm. Can I say I would also like to add Cotylite Sneeze to our family tree here, along with Give? I think there's a Cotylite Sneeze thing happening. Why? Where the narrator of the song is not in a stable, empowered place to be making good decisions, and she kind of knows that, but she's going to go ahead and do it anyway. And I'm thinking of the way Tori talked about Cotylite Sneeze and kind of relationship she was pursuing at that time and friends were saying what are you doing Tori this is not good for you and she was like no 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 I gotta have it and I kind of know what I'm doing but I'm gonna do it anyway because I'm in a self-destructive phase I kind of feel like that's what's happening here she's making decisions not from the best place because she's looking for some kind of validation or something with the line and you know and I know I don't know me very well and I know and you know if they found me out if 
people knew what I was up to and why. It wouldn't be a good look. Yeah, I definitely see the connection to Caudalite Sneeze there with the idea that you're operating out of a self-destructive phase. I guess I've always heard the line, if they found me out, as her being very self-deprecating, as saying that. I mean, I guess I don't know why I've always heard that line as being very self-deprecating, when if I take it back to the story, it could just be that she's having an affair, you know? It could also speak to she's not doing what she says she's doing, (laughs) and if they found me out, like kind of what you're saying, which is... If they found out what I was up to. Yeah. And I know, you know, if they found me out. Who's the you she's talking to? Is she talking to the guy who brings her sugar? Is this a moment where the conversation happens between them? Or is she talking to the universe? Or is she talking to the listener? I've always experienced this line as secretive, meaning a secret between Tori and the audience. And it's a rare moment. Ooh. A rare moment when she acknowledges the listener in the song or speaks like directly to the... Yeah. <laughs> She's like standing at the edge of the stage. Yeah. You know and I know. I don't know me very well. You know, but I and know. And I know and you know. You think you can bring her sugar. And then she goes back into the scene. Yeah, I love that. I feel like she steps, yeah, I feel like she steps out of the song for a moment and the, the listener becomes you. And now we're observing the characters or the events of the song and the people she's just been singing about are they. If they found mm-hmm. me out. Like she's confiding in oh, us. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. And I love when she's doing this live post 98 with the whole you're just a pussy part because she builds up to it and it kind of gets her back. It supports that this is an aside. And then she takes that and goes back. It's like affects the next step in her journey. Well, we'll get into it in the live section, I guess. But I feel like live, the song became something different. Not just, you know, sonically in terms of the band arrangement, but I think the storyline kind of skews off in a different direction. Or it became something different to her. Kind of like, I don't know, Merman became about Matthew Shepard. I feel like somehow Sugar became about a closeted gay man. Really? Yeah. I, I don't... I'm curious to hear why. Do you want to do that here? Because this is where it pivots, right? Yeah. Let's do it in the live section. Yeah, I think so. Talk about it in the 98 section. Okay. Sugar, he brings me sugar. I love in the studio version how if they found me out has sort of an ellipsis on it, even though it's not printed. It's just kind of like dot, dot, dot. No, I love that too. And she leaves us hanging. And she leaves us hanging mm-hmm. musically, too. There's kind of like this pregnant, not pause, but we're sort of left, I don't know, in the abyss. And there's like the chirping cricket noise. And mm-hmm. she doesn't answer what will happen if they found me out, dot, dot, dot. There's suspense. Maybe because she doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. Maybe because her world could literally be turned upside down. God, she loves to turn her world upside down. You know she does. You know she do. No robins bring Again, she's gonna get a cavity. <laughs> He's sweet on you. How do you know? Said you gave him a toothache. We end with the chorus. It's such a good chorus. I love this whole song, but I love the chorus in particular. Mm -hmm. And for her to come up with it so quickly, I completely understand why she would be very proud of it. Maybe want to re-record it with some extra time, you know, to really flesh it out. Because it did eventually flesh itself out, you know? What's your favorite lyrical moment? 
I think before our discussion, it was, you know, and I know, I don't know me very well, but I think after our discussion, going through all the ideas of what Robins can represent and like the, the quote from Blue Velvet, I'm just going to go with the very simple, I know the Robins bring, bring me many things as kind of a yearning um, or acknowledgement of real love. How about you? I'm going to go with two. The first being, you know, and I know, I don't know me very well. And the second being... As far as I can tell, I've been gone for miles now. To mm. me, both of those are so heartbreaking. To not know yourself, I haven't even really, we didn't even really talk about it, but it's heartbreaking to not know yourself. And so that carries the heartbreak from the previous line, which mm. is to be gone for miles now, especially if you're not gone, especially if you're in a relationship, but you've been gone for miles now. It's so sad. To me, it's like when you've checked out of something, you know, there's obviously ways to be gone for miles now where you're headed on a journey and you're, you know, I'm, I've blew this dive, have a seat while I take to the sky, but that's not what I'm getting from this song. So it just is very heartbreaking. And I, it's, it's like, it gives me an ache in my soul, which I love. I'd love to ache. Hurts so good. Sure do. What's your least favorite line? We never talk about that. What's your <laughs> least favorite line? Oh, let's see. Probably don't say morning's come because I know that feeling. I hate it. A sleepless night. <laughs> I'm thinking of not not in a positive way. Like we've been up all night chatting. It's like I can't sleep, and I'm staring out the window. Like okay, God, if I can just fall asleep, I'll get an hour's worth. And then nope, you see the light start peeking through the window, and it's like God damn it, this is the worst day of my life. How about you? Um, I'm gonna go with Bobby's collecting bees because who the hell collects bees? Monsters. Monsters. That's who. Hammer monsters. Beekeepers. Hashtag hammer monster. <laughs> Beekeepers collect bees, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but beekeeper is a metaphor for death. It is. So Bobby is the eternal fat man. It is. And Robin's in, or a harbinger of death. So round and round she goes. God, the song is about death. Coffin. But I kind of, you know, I do feel like there's that thread of ghostly visitation here because of Freddie Mercury. So it all makes sense. I would love to hear Freddie Mercury sing the song. Here's the thing. If you have a visitation from someone who's passed away, obviously it's one thing. But if you have a visitation from someone who hasn't passed away if you have like a dream right i have dreams about people who are alive all the time so if tori has a dream about someone who's alive who sings her a song think of any musician saint vincent she has a dream of saint vincent singing her a song and she wakes up and it's only a dream so it's her song and she writes the song how interesting would it be to have saint vincent cover that song it would, but it would also be awful to have that dream and you like get up and write the song or take down the dictation as you heard it in the dream and then you get the phone call, she died last night. <gasps> <gasps> and you are the Robin? Yeah. You're the harbinger of death? <laughs> God, how sad. Should we listen to Yanta? Okay. All right. This is Yanta's instrumental cover of the Tavinus and Back version because there's no piano on the original. So how can he do a cover? But he did do a cover of the Hey Jupiter EP live version. He always finds a way. This version is sweet and low. I'm expecting to hear the drums kick in. powerhouse riff. I love it. Mm-hmm. 
wanted to pull a ripcord like in a flash dance when she gets to the chorus and just be covered in syrup. playing her heart out. I love this because again, when it's with the full band, we don't hear all of this. It gets a little buried.
Yeah, I was just thinking, like, what do you suppose the process is when she took a song that had no piano and decided she, I mean, obviously there had been piano that she added to it to play it live, but then when she's rearranging it with a band, do you think she's just playing her heart out in the moment and what Yanta's capturing here is just what happened in that one particular performance that's captured onto Venus and back soundcheck? Or... Mm -hmm. Is it because there's it seems to be there's like a little it seems to me there's like a little vamping here and there, but like there are key moments that are just distinct. So I'm wondering how much of it fluctuates from night to night because it's not set in stone on a record with piano, you know, well, Mm -hmm. now it is, but then it wasn't. So I'm just curious about her process. But I have a treat for you. Knowing that this song is in B minor, I found some associations and musical key characteristics associated with the key of B minor. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, this is from one of the most influential descriptions of characteristics shared in German-speaking cultures in the late 18th and early 19th century from Christian Schubert's Ideen zu einer Ästhetik der Tunkunst, or as I translate it, ideas of the aesthetics of musical keys, I guess. <laughs> Here we are, keys. Okay, B flat minor. Oh, B minor. This is, as it were, the key of patience, of calm awaiting one's fate, and of submission to divine dispensation. Mm. What do you think? Isn't that interesting? Then it kind of fits. Maybe not patience, but she's forever waiting for him to bring her more than sugar. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You got to get what's coming to you. Can I just say that I'm scrolling down through the comments on Yanta's YouTube page, specifically for Sugar, and one of the comments is one of her most brazenly beautiful works ever. I love that brazenly beautiful. Like, she's not even going to try to pretend that it's not beautiful. It's lost <laughs> she's its She's brazen beauty. about it. God. <laughs> Humility, she's brazen please. brazen about it. You can support Yanta at patreon.com slash Yanta, where he's covered almost all, I think, or maybe even all, of Tory songs with sheet music and instrumentation. Become a supporter of his Patreon if you can. And it's also worth checking out his YouTube page. Subscribe at Yanta on YouTube because he has, not only does he have the sheet music and the song uploaded to his channel, but he also has a tutorial, How to Play Sugar by Torimus. And it's the same thing you just heard, but with like a little keyboard overlay that mm-hmm. shows exactly what keys he's playing. So you could you could just get a band together and you could be you could pretend you're Torimus too. That's exciting. I wish he did that for every song. Every song, especially Hotel. I want it. Thank teach you. Teach a man how to fish. Eh, teach a man how to play Tori. Ding, ding, ding. I don't need to know what the notes are. I just need to know exactly what keys to touch. <laughs> Speaking of Yanta, here's another cover that he did. This is the Hey Jupiter version of Sugar. And we'll be right back to talk to Lynn Nettleton.
I'm very excited about this one. We have Lindsay Nettleton on the line to tell us about why she loves sugar. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, friend. Lindsay's a friend, a supporter. You can find her on Instagram sometimes. But I want to hear your Tory story. I want to know how you came to the music because... For those listeners out there who don't know, Lindsay is the sister of our archivist and historian, Shay Stymack. So how did you two together discover Tori? Tell me everything. I believe Shay first found, I want to say it was the Silent All These Years video. Um, and she watched it and she told me, you got to see this. God, I had to have only been maybe 13 at the time, I think. Um, just, yeah, pretty young could have been 14 but you know somewhere around there and we watched the video and it was just an immediate obsession like who is this lady we need to see and hear more and Jay was really kind of the one that brought in the music and I was just there for it you know so she would get the CDs and share them with me and it was just kind of like I waited until she brought it to me and then I was she was always there for that, you know, she was good with that. So, and then from there on, it was just a, a mutual love for her. And we went to shows together starting in 96 and the rest is history. I love it. I love the idea of 13 year old you like hyping up Shay to bring me more Tori. <laughs> yeah. What, what else you got? What else you got? <laughs> I love that. And did you connect with her right away? Was there a specific moment where you're like, yeah, this is my girl? I think just listening to Little Earthquakes, it was Little Earthquakes and Under the Pink together because we started listening to her when both of those albums were out. Mm -hmm. So I want to say it really came down to songs on Little Earthquakes that I'm just remembering now, like Precious Things and the song Little Earthquakes. Those started to really touch my little teenage angsty soul. So yeah, I think it was really Little Earthquakes that made me a true, true fan. And what was your fandom like? Did you always get the B-sides right away, or was Sugar something that came later? I believe the first time I really heard the song was on the China single, maybe? Uh-huh. Um, and not only that, it was later on the Hey Jupiter, like the, the live mm. version on the EP. And I loved that version because I memorized her little intro into the song, her little story that she told. Oh, really? And like... Even just her inflections of her little story that she told before, I, I memorized it. I loved it so, so much. But yeah, that was, I think, the first time that I really got into Sugar was on the China single because also Flying Dutchman was on that. So these two kind of go together for me. Um, I remember sitting in my room as a young teen and having these songs play, like Sugar and Flying Dutchman, and it being, you know, dark, it's it's nighttime, my mom, she knows we're in bed, but I'm not really sleeping. I'm listening to Tori, and I'm sitting on the edge of my bed and pretending to play piano, like, on a mm -hmm. table that was next to my bed, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I hear that song, it just brings me back to that time, sitting on my bed in the dark, pretending to play piano like her, you I know? What happened when you discovered the band version? Oh, my God. Well, she played it. I think every tour... I've seen it up till like maybe 2007. So the American Doll Posse, I think, but she's played it here in the Bay Area every single tour practically. Mm. And so I heard it in 96. That was my first show in San Jose, my first show ever. And I met her that show. Um, 
we all lined up and she came down the line and like said hello to everybody. And it was the most amazing moment. And yeah. And, um, I was wearing red tights and a black dress and like little black Mary Janes. I think I I felt so cool. Hashtag nineties. Yeah. (laughs) So I got that version at that show. And then the next time she came around was in 98 and that's when she had it with the band. And it was like, what is, (laughs) you know, I immediately fell in love with it because it's like two different songs now, you know, it's like original sugar and sugar with the band. Mm. And, this is like the power ballad of my life. (laughs) Is there one that you prefer or do they hold separate? Like you love them both equally. I don't love them equally. I (gasps) I think, I think I love them equally for, but for totally different reasons. Like I love sugar, the original so much because it has that nostalgic place in, in me, you know, from that time when I was young and had my first boyfriend and all the, all the feels, you know, all the feelings. But I love Sugar with the band so much because it's so powerful and because she flipped it on its ass and made it like its own new song in a way. Mm -hmm. And so powerful that it was really just like a fuck you, you know, (laughs) like to the original Sugar. So I love them both for different reasons. Do you have a favorite lyrical moment in the song? I think it's different for each version because, you know, in the original version, it's very quiet. I've always kind of felt like it's very never-ending story-ish, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, very ethereal. And lyrically in the original version, um, as far as I can tell, I've been gone for miles now. I love that lyric so much. And it brings me back to that first love situation where... I felt like I was always, you know, even as a teenager, like my boyfriend at the time was so just into himself and was only letting me in when it was convenient kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So I always took that lyric as like, I've been gone for miles now, like I'm nowhere near him. In the live version, I love the added lyrics that she put in. Sweet boy, when they find you out, tell me what you think they'll do. Uh-huh. You know, when they find that little in here. I don't even care that much about the pussy part, okay? I care <laughs> more about <laughs> that part where she's like, you know, wait until they find out. I felt like it was she was saying, like, wait until they find out you're a little softy inside, you little shithead. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's different for me for both versions. She evokes such power there, like, when she's doing that new part, that... You know, where mm-hmm. it's just like, uh, watch out. And I, I really like that. In the live section in a minute, we're going to watch it sort of grow to that. Because my favorite part of Sugar's journey, I, I love Sugar with the band. I love Sugar. I love all Sugar. But I love Sugar with the band especially. And when she evolves to that, when she finds it and she gets to that sweet boy when they find you out, you're, you know, that you're just a pussy bridge. Mm-hmm. Because she tried other things out too. And I just think it. Uh, she landed on magic one night and just kept it. It was great. Mm-hmm. It is uh, definitely something that I feel like from the original version to this version, um, I can't imagine. That's why I feel like they're two separate songs, Mm -hmm. because I know that she also told stories about, you know, how this song came about. And one version of her story is that she's a little five-year-old, has a crush on a boy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a very innocent kind of crush and then later she tells a story about this guy that she's been dating for nine months you know and <laughs> she doesn't know how many sugars she takes in her tea and going back to my you always put something in your own personal experience and it's like you know someone you've been seeing for this long mm-hmm. they don't know what you like yet they don't know what yeah. makes you tick you know this is all this stuff Come on, you know, that to me is like the story behind the band live version. And then 
that other sweet story is kind of what fuels the original softer version of sugar. Well, I put together a little quiz for you. I want to test you on your actual sugars and sweeteners. Are you ready? Oh, geez. Sure. <laughs> As a mother, how many <laughs> teaspoons of sugar does the average American eat and drink every day? 9, 13, 17, or 22? 22. You are so right. I guess nine, but you're right. Oh, 22 well. average teaspoons. That's horrible. <laughs> that is awful. Which of these sweeteners comes from a plant? Aspartame, sucralose, stevia, or neotame? Stevia. Oh, you know your sugars. <laughs> um, third question. On food labels, the amount of sugar is listed in grams. What is one gram of sugar? Is it equal to one-fourth teaspoon, a half teaspoon, one teaspoon, or a tablespoon? Ooh, this is toughy. Okay, one gram. I'll say one tablespoon. A quarter teaspoon, so that's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're born with a sweet tooth. True or false? Hmm, True. Correct. Oh, I would have guessed false. It's nature, not I nurture. Know. I guess we found out. I guess so. Um, what's your favorite sweet thing to eat? Ooh, I'm a chocolate peanut butter kind of girl. Oh, really? Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cup. I love me a peanut butter cup, but I love like uh, jellies and gummies and things like that. Mm -hmm. mm. Any final thoughts on sugar? And also, have you ever requested it? I've never requested it, but that brings up a point that I want to say here is that I strongly believe that in 2017, the Native Invader Tour, mm -hmm. Tori could have pulled off Sugar, the original version. Mm -hmm. I feel like that tour was, it had this kind of vibe around it that she really could have made that song stand out. I don't know if she remembers that it can also exist without the power love ballad. Yeah. You know what I mean? That. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, you can't make this song happen without all the grandiose, you know, vocalizations yeah. and the drums and everything. So I've never requested it, but I thought about it during that tour mm -hmm. because I wanted to see what she would do with it. She transformed Girl, for instance, you yeah. know, and like there was a lot of songs that she really brought a totally new look to or sound to. And it was like, oh, my gosh, Sugar would have been great during that tour. So maybe next time around, I'll ask her if I ever meet her at a meet and greet, just do you think you can rework Sugar into your solo shows again it would have been lovely to have seen it in 2017 and i love your thought that it could have gotten really really dark you know how she would have these like very long intros where she's like oh, curled mm -hmm. over the keyboard and mm -hmm. yeah it could have been so beautiful yeah. it would have been i mean and like i go back to the never-ending story feel that i've always felt with some of that synth sound that she's using in the original version mm -hmm. i feel like she could have told totally done that during Native Invader tour because um, she was experimenting a lot with a lot of those sounds and stuff. So maybe next time around, we'll see. And do you have any take on how she says that Freddie Mercury sort of popped up on her shoulder and started singing the song to her? Are you a Queen fan at all? I am a Queen fan. I don't really know. I don't have too many thoughts about that. What about you? Well, I'm not so well versed on Queen, so I don't know necessarily if you can see any similarities like in vocal stylings or just in anything in like structure, song structure. I feel like it would be more structurally compared to like David Bowie than, you know, oh, interesting. Queen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, Lynn, this has been so great. You can follow Lindsay Nettleton on Instagram at Lindsay Net. That's Lindsay with an E and Net with two T's. You can find her there. But is there anywhere else they can find you? Out in the streets, flying kites, living your life to the fullest? Yeah, out in Sonoma County in the wine country, flying kites. 
that's where I'll be. Are you ever going to do a cover of Sugar for Us or any other Tori Amos song? Because um, y'all don't realize, Lindsay has a great singing voice, and I don't know why she's not covering more songs. Yeah, I'm, I will do a cover of another Tory song somewhere down the road, I promise. I love it. I can't wait. Thank <laughs> you for being on the show, and we'll talk again soon. Maybe we should have you back for the very next song, Flying Dutchman. That'd be great. For now, let's listen to the KGK trance mix of Sugar, and we'll talk again soon, Lynn. Thanks, Ethan. <laughs> Welcome to the lounge. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate your hospitality. Especially for this episode, I brought out all the candy. I'll just take a regular soda, which will be a rare indulgence for me. Filled with sugar yeah. instead of the zero sugar. Yes, all the sugar. <laughs> Hard candy? Um, I think I want to dip gummy worms in my Coke. Would that be gross? No, go ahead. Okay. That's why they're there. I'm going to do it. For the live section of sugar, I have to say... We run into this, and we're going to run into it again. We run into this problem with any little earthquake track, which is they've become staples over the years, but they were played a lot in 92, 94, and we're missing so many set lists that it's impossible to know how many times she's played these songs. Like, specifically, you know? Yeah, those set lists are elusive. We can't keep a hold of a one of them. So we have our best guess for 92 and 94. We're almost positive on 96. And then the rest, we're pretty positive. Yeah, would you say? Yes. So with that in mind, Tori's performed Sugar at least 219 times. That's a gold standard. That is a lot. That's a lot of sugar. Imagine performing 219 sugars in a row. Like if you just decided to do it in a row. Yeah, especially if it was the band version, because those are pretty long. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's intense. Do you think most of these were performed in America because we put sugar in everything? Probably, yeah. She's Actually, it's a comment on the obesity of this country. Yeah, and sometimes if you listen closely, she changes it to corn syrup. Corn syrup. Yeah. <laughs> So in 1992, we have on record that Tori Amos performed 
formed sugar at least eight times. I'm sure it's more than that. What would you say? I would say it's more than that for sure. Maybe not a lot more, maybe double. Well, you know, because she wrote it in 92 and she talks about being so proud of it, right? Mm-hmm. So when she introduces it here at this show, June 7th, 1992 in Frankfurt, Germany, I feel like it's so early in the tour, she's going to play it a lot. If she loves it as much as she says she does, right? Oh, I love oh, this song. Oh, yeah. I love that in the middle of the promo cycle for her first album, she continues to amaze herself with new, yeah. with new music. <laughs> she's like, no, no, yeah. no, Sugar. Sugar is definitely my favorite. No, here in my head, here in my head. Oh, my God, Tori, you've done it again. My hands just don't know what to do with themselves. Sometimes they just grip the microphone and sometimes they just give myself a round of applause. They don't know what to do with themselves. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I've seen her do things like that when she's not playing. (laughs) So this is the first time we have Sugar on record. June 7th in Frankfurt, Germany. Don't say morning's come. Don't see up to me. A whole different sugar. It's a whole different sugar. It's like sugar cane. It's like original sugar. Mm-hmm. Original sugarality. How do you feel about that? I find this song to be aspirational, meaning it's always good, but it really came into its own later in life. And we're going to chart mm-hmm. that trajectory. But, you know, you don't have to peak early or ever feel like your best days are behind you. I see. You can evolve. Yes. You can go from sugar cane to sugar cube. Mm-hmm. Or to molasses, if you want. If you get a little thick. This is the first time that we have on record that she opened a show with sugar. This is October 1st, 1992 in Phoenix, Arizona. And if you didn't have this B-side, you're confused for the whole first song. Mm-hmm. I love moments like that. Or would she come out and do like an improv, like new shoes improv into Flying Dutchman? Also a B-side potentially people didn't have. So for the first like 15 minutes of the show, people were like, um, who is this? Is this, did we come to the right show? Silent all these years, please. But after that, October 1st show, the rest of the sugars that we have on record are her opening the shows with them. So she knew right away mm, that those, it was, once those, she put it in that slot, she knew that that was the slot for yeah, it. Yeah, those first ones she took out of the record book, but now it's firmly mm-hmm. back in. <laughs> Here's Tori performing Sugar on November 9th, 1992 in New Haven. I really just love this middle part. And it's the last bootleg I have with the song in 1992. Yeah, I know, and you know. They found me out. <laughs> 
after the tour in 1993, she went on CFNY Radio in Canada, and she wasn't given, I think they were supposed to have a piano or like a regular keyboard, but something happened, and she didn't have what she needed. But she made it work, and she performed this incredible, I think, version of Sugar, March 5th, 1993. As far as I can tell Guess where we are. Where am I? You're in 1994. You bet your life you are. Mm, this is not really happening. Yes, it is. <laughs> in 1994, we have on record that she performed this song at least 33 times, which is when Jesus Christ became a man. I was going to say that too. That's why she did it. Would not surprise me in the least. In 1994, Sugar took her place as the leader of the pack because she opened a whole lot of shows with Sugar. She loves to have dessert first. Here's an interesting moment from July 4th, 1994 in Detroit. Then there was that one time in Quebec City, November 7th, 1994, when someone shouted out sugar and she said, okay. ready to drop in gonna drop our sugar in do and the do drop in please do drop it in in 1996 on the do drop in tour tori Amos performed sugar 21 times she's legal she can drink you should have to reach a certain age to drink sugar sodas i agree and this is the first time we get it this year from wnew this is actually a promo performance with never seen blue and sugar roll it oliver Sugar. 
What do you think of the pairing of Never Seen Blue with Sugar? Well, I was just going to ask you that, too. It has not occurred to me until this very moment that in the past we've talked about Tori kind of associating Mark or in the future. At some point we talk about Tori equating Mark with Sugar and that when Sugar Cane or references to sweetness like that come up in songs that it usually means that Mark is present in the song. Do you think Mm. that's because Sugar, the B-side, was originally about a relationship or a man who couldn't, wouldn't give her what she wanted and then she finally got it in the form of Mark. So Sugar took on kind of a more positive connotation in her music or it kind of transmuted to like, yes, now I'm fulfilled. I would be hesitant to say that it represents Mark only because she has kept for so long that you're just a pussy, my sweet boy, that part. I don't mean Sugar the song. But other references to Sugar in her music are sort of a nod to where it used to represent sort of an unfulfilled need or want. And now when she mentions Sugar in a song, it represents Mark. So there's kind of like a completion with that. I definitely agree that the song probably changed meaning after time, especially with the refrain, he brings me sugar, because who does bring her sugar for the majority of her life now is her man. So I wonder, I would be really interested to know how the narrative has shifted and if there's a nod to when she wasn't satisfied to now when she is. Mm -hmm. And I I think we definitely see that because of the pairing. It's clear that there is some thematic connection. And to be fair, this performance is prior to the whole you're just a pussy, my sweet boy edition. So maybe in this moment, because we do have evidence that in other times, Mark is represented by molasses, sugar cane. Maybe she's working it out here on the boards, live on WNEW, New York. (laughs) Hmm. This song made an appearance on VH1 Crossroads on June 19th, Did you see this live? I sure did. What did you think? As it aired on television, you mean? Yeah, this of course. a great broadcast. Great performances. I love the intimacy of it. It was very rare for Tori to get something, for Tori to get an entire episode of a show completely devoted to her. You know, usually she just popped up on a late night show or whatever. So this, mm-hmm. was, this was an event as far as I was concerned. And in typical fashion, she did nothing from the album she was currently promoting. Love it. Right. What about you? I lo- yeah, I loved it. I loved how intimate it was. I loved like the cameras seemed to really love her. Mm-hmm. It was a really great performance, the whole thing. And it made her really cool. You know, for some reason, she was really cool. She was daring. It was bold. Like, even just how close the cameras got to her and, like, just the looks on her face solidified her as just, like, a really bold artist. Loved it. I think those kind of in-studio moments where there isn't an audience do a good job of capturing what it's like to see her live. I think she's more comfortable in kind of that intimate Mm -hmm. setting as opposed to when she's on like Jay Leno or whatever, when the audience is filled with people who aren't necessarily there to see her. Mm -hmm. I think she's a little more guarded. Yeah, for sure. 
And we can see that here. We can see that in Sessions. We can see that in Hard Rock Live 99. We can see that in Scarlet Sessions as well. You know, when she's got her whole hour, she thrives. She thrives. She needs space. This is the first performance we have on record from the Dew Drop in. We've lost the first two, but this is the third time she performed at this uh, tour. This is March 29th, 1996 in Milan, Italy. It didn't start the show here, but it started the second encore. Mm. This is the last time she performed Sugar on the 1996 tour. This is October 22nd in Miami, Florida. In 1998, Tori performed Sugar 37 times, which is a lot for a B-side. Mm-hmm. And it famously got a new arrangement. Famously. Infamously. Everybody knows it. Everybody knew, except for the very first time she ever did it on this tour in Bonn, Germany on June 13th. She performed it solo. And it was the last song of the show. Roll it, Ollie. One of my favorite things about Sugar is like sort of what you said earlier was the evolution of it, but like also charting it, you know, because it took her a while to land on the new lyrics, like to land on them. And once they, once she landed on it, she like wrote it in permanent marker. Yeah, she landed hard. But she didn't get there right away. And we're going to just listen to a few of my favorites, including where she drops the F word, the other F word. <laughs> How many are there? Just those two? There's multiple F-words, including the F-word first. And this is the first time she played it with the band, July 17th, 1998, in Minneapolis. Hold on to your cowboy hat.
So what I really like about this in particular, the way it was kind of reborn with the band, it's like it's gasping for air and then it comes to life. The moment the drums come in, it's like, wow, it's a whole new song. It really is. Here we are. Yeah. This and Bells for Her have to be kind of the most shocking reinventions, right? Really? I think so. Bells for Her on the harpsichord or with the band? Every time. Bells for Her is always Every different. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Every, <laughs> Every time. performance. Yeah, harpsichord or band, they're both radically different than the album, So, but particularly the band in terms of bells for her. Earlier, you said that you felt the 98 Sugar changed the meaning of the song to be suddenly about a gay boy, I think is what you said. Would you like to elaborate? Isn't every Tory song about a gay boy, though? I don't think that's a particularly shocking statement to make. I'm particularly shocked. <laughs> I don't know if it's completely and utterly about a gay boy, but I think she changes some of the lyrics from the album version, and there's like a thread of that in there what do you think are you talking about the what they did to you oh my god my sweet boy yeah like that also brings to mind the matthew shepherd narrative a hundred percent especially that part being born in 98 yeah you know when she changes it to when they find you've got a little in here and she like pointed to her chest every time and when they find you out like yeah that speaks to me of someone who is trying to hide their homosexuality really yeah is that how you read that yeah oh I'm so glad we're talking about this because we didn't get a chance to talk about this in the lyrics section or the line by line because these weren't lines in the studio version. I always took that differently. When they find you got a little in here, I took as like you have no heart. You just have a little. When they find you got a little in here, tell me what you think they'll do. Oh, but now it's making total sense I to think, me. I think, I mean, I could see it either way, but I think when she does it, it seems kind of cheeky and she's like a little in here, like a little gay, like a little gayness right here. What? <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shooketh. Oh, man. What do you think they will do? What do you think they'll do if they were to find him out? Reject you? Beat you up? Disown you? I love how 23 years later, this song can still be revealing itself to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks, David. Do you feel like you've been eating stevia this whole time and now you've had real sugar and you're like, God. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've had Diet Coke in a plastic bottle for my whole life and now I just had a Mexican Coke in a glass bottle. So here I am. (laughs) (laughs) alive awake and i'm ready Mm. i'm ready i'm a gay boy with a little in here Mm -hmm. more than a little yeah well a lot in here i was gonna say (laughs) make no mistake this is exactly why we do the podcast so we are gonna go through all of these bridges to see when she finally landed on pussy starting with minneapolis july 17th Next, we have Chicago, July 19th. Here's an improv she did on Jacksonville, Florida on October 13th. Here I am, 
Here's a story she told about the song on November 15th in Amherst. So uh, I sort of wrote the song, but I really didn't write this song. I was being pushed to come up with B-sides after the earthquakes. And I, I think it was the earthquakes. And, and I, I was able to come up with stuff, right? So I was at um, Lance Daly's house where he did songs from Big Jim with um, Tears for Fears. And uh, whatever. And so, um, So I'm sitting there and I'm having to come up with something and I really can't come up with anything. All I'm thinking about is my appetite, of course. <laughs> and so uh, all of a sudden, this little voice comes in my head and I, you know, you know whose voice it is as soon as you hear it. And uh, I was thinking about something, thinking something actually about food and it came up sexual and I don't know how that happened. So what happened is um, this guy is singing in my ear, in his voice. Now who would this be? Final show of the tour on December 3rd, 1998 in East Lansing. She performed Sugar with a little improv. Were you there? I sure was. In 1999, on the Five and a Half Weeks Tour, Tori performed this song 21 times. I would consider that a staple. Like, it's become a staple. It seems to obviously be one of her favorite songs to play with the band. Mm -hmm. I think this is a moment when she's like, for those about to rock, I salute me. She feels like a rock star (laughs) when she plays this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it is kind of like a rock star song. She plays it hard every time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is from MTV Live and unrehearsed right before the tour started. First night of the Five and a Half Weeks Tour, August 18th, 1999. This is one of my favorite shows. Me, 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 
came out full of energy. We had a new Blood Roses, a new Pro Widow. That was wild, being at that show. Were you there? Yeah, I was. I think that's the only first show of tour that I've ever gone to, and to have songs from a new album that we hadn't heard yet in any incarnation, and then we had that reworked version of Blood Roses that blew our mind. She came out with God. She hadn't done Professional Widow. Really, I mean, she had done it a couple times. Never. But nothing bearing any resemblance to the recorded version, and we were like, what is happening? You know, people talk a lot about the 99 shows being shorter because she was touring with Alanis but we forget that those like really incredible arrangements came out like I'm not so plussed that they were shorter shows she was filling her time me either and again because she was touring with another artist she could have altered her set to be more hits driven and instead nope I'm doing Blood Roses (laughs) with a band I'm doing (laughs) Professional Widow I mean awesome here's a performance of Sugar from Atlanta 99X August 21st 1999 This is a performance of Sugar from Pay-Per-View in Las Vegas, September 24th, 99, at the Mandalay Bay Events Center. song five times on the to dallas and back tour which was a longer version of the five and a half weeks tour it was like longer set lists here's the final time she performs it with steve caton this is hard rock live what they do. Sweet boy, when they find you. Str- 
In 2001, Tori performed the song 16 times. This was a sweet 16. Which I thought was a little surprising because it seemed to take on this whole other life with the band and become a band song. And there are songs that she wouldn't play solo, but Sugar went back to just kind of rocking it solo. I think that's a testament to how much she loves it. She'll take it any which mm-hmm. way. Yeah, it'll always be there. This is the first time she performed it in 2001 on October 14th in Wallingford, Connecticut. This is important, I think, because a lot of times when she'll have a solo song or a song that originated on the piano and she adds the band to it and has a new arrangement with the band, for example, like The Waitress, whenever she plays it again after that arrangement, whether it's solo or with the band later, that part or that addition sort of goes away. But with Sugar, she kept that whole bridge, the You're Just a Pussy bridge. Mm -hmm. It just sort of was fused forever with the song, which I think makes this song sort of special in that way. Because, for example, she did play The Waitress with the band in 0203. She did play The Wait for Solo later in later years, and it never ever reached that ending as it had in 98, except for when Pip was covering it. And Pip was covering the 98 version, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting how she can sort of seal an arrangement to a tour, but that's not the case with Sugar. This is December 14, 2001 in Vienna. Scarlet's Walk, Tori performed this song 27 times, and the first time was on November 9th, 2002 in Melbourne. show on November 10th, 2002 in Atlanta. She did this song with a little improv. Roll it, Oliver. And you know, if I were with you, I would love you out of that one. We could 
to sit there all night. We're having a bit of a moment, as you can see. This is Benny. He's lovely. Here's a special performance from Columbus, Ohio, November 23rd. This is a review from The Dent from Ryan O'Neill, and he said, I just read your review of The Columbus Show and got chills when you mentioned Tori's improv before Sugar. Quote, sometimes I think of you, let you in, but you're not on this earth. You are not on this earth, but I let you in. I can shed some light on your question as to what made Tori sing that with such an overwhelming intensity. The afternoon of the show, I was given an opportunity to participate in a question and answer session with Tori. There were only about 10 people present, and we each got to ask Tori one question. My question was about Kevin Aquan. I asked Tori how his death had affected her work, this tour, this album, in particular the song Taxi Ride, which had become Kevin's song, and most importantly, her life and relationships. While I do not want to give the specifics of her response, I can tell you, first of all, that irritates me, while I do not (laughs) want to give the specifics of her response, I can tell you it was very emotional. When she sang that intro to Sugar, I knew it was a tribute to Kevin. Well, I have no proof, Ryan. Damn it. Since she won't give us specifics. Ryan, call us. Ryan, we need you to tell us her answer on the air. Thank you. 
to me that indicates that gay men are just interchangeable. She's like, it was Freddie Mercury, now it's Kevin O'Quan. It's whatever, it's just gay. Just a gay guy. Do you think when she's singing Sugar, she swears that she's herself Freddie Mercury? Like she is singing it in Freddie Mercury's voice. Like she's actually she's channeling Freddie Mercury? Yeah. Do you think she continues to do that on stage? No. No? <laughs> Not really. Fine. Well, if you were able to ask Tori one question, but you couldn't give the answer to anyone, what would you ask? I don't know. What would we all ask? What really happened with Trent Reznor? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Or when's the next tour going to be? But I wouldn't tell anybody and I would just secretly purchase my plane tickets. Yeah. Done. In 2003, Tori performed this song twice on the Lotta Pianos tour. One was captured on the Welcome to Sunny Florida DVD, which we played earlier. So we're moving on to 2005, where she performed this song three times on the Summer of Sin. And here is Atlanta on opening night. So I haven't done this little song all tour, and I decided I'm doing it tonight. In 2007, Tori Amos performed this song 21 times, 6 times as Santa, and 15 times as the shocking Tori doll. Did she take it away from Santa? No, she didn't take it away or give it to. It was sort of sporadically, some, one night Tori would do it, one night Santa would do it. That it makes me uncomfortable. Of... I think you need to make a firm decision and stick to it. You can't have these songs living with multiple dolls at the same time. It's like a sexy song in some ways, or makes her feel sexy to imagine the affair possibly, but then also like it's so ingrained in her life. I feel like I'm fine with it. But what other doll would you pair it with if not Santa? No, I would give it to Santa. I just feel like if she's going to take it, she should always have it. Not be, you know, (laughs) Tori's coming over. Can I borrow some sugar? Sure, here you go. Back and forth, back and forth. It's confusing. Well, sugar's meant to be given out. Is it? I hoard mine. This is the first time sugar appeared in the 2007 tour. This is September 11th, 2007 in Melbourne, Australia. And she performed it as Tori. Tori doll. Not to be confused with Tori. Not to be confused with Tori Amos. Tori doll. Different. We've discussed that this song appears on 10 Legs and Boots 
10. Just the 10 of them. And those are available for purchase on iTunes. If you're desperate to hear those sugars, go buy them. I love sometimes when the Tory community hatches a scheme. Like, let's all buy sugar from 2007 and make it chart on iTunes for no reason. I wonder if we could. I wonder if we could make anything chart. Some men just want to watch the world burn. This is the last time she performed sugar on that tour. This is December 7th, 2007 in Oakland on the first of the three shows. Boys just watch Presumably, we're still waiting for this on DVD. Yeah, she's just trying to get it just right in mastering. I hope she releases it to Blu-ray also, because yeah. at this point, I've purchased a Blu-ray player. Just for that. I've been waiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she did not perform the song in 2008 at the one show she did in Dren Outer, but she did perform this song five times on the Sinful Attraction Band Tour. And we're going to listen to the very last time she performed it with the band. Are you ready for this? Yes. This is October 7th, 2009 in Berlin at the Tempodrome. was the last time with the band to date end of an era started eating healthy i regret it she did not perform the song in 2010 on that summer tour but she brought it back three times solo in 2011 on her night of hunters tour night of hunties should she have done this with the quartet in your opinion no why i don't know there were a number of other things i would have rather have heard with the quartet arrangement before sugar such as what pretty good year when we dreamed up for her performing with a symphony or a quartet or any kind of string arrangements back in the 90s we dreamed like these dark songs like the heavier songs to be like to come in with the dark strings you know Uh uh-huh we weren't imagining them so classical i think no we weren't but i still would have loved to hear sugar with the strings like keeping a sort of rhythm like the guys how they plucked on suede or cruel keeping that kind of thing with sugar yeah Uh, it could have gotten really dark yeah this song could have been a real plucker she did not perform this song in 2012 on the Gold Dust Tour or in 2013 at Caprice, where she did that one-off show. But she did bring it back in 2014 15 times. That'd be confusing if she did it in 2015 14 times. It would have been super confusing. But she didn't do it at all in 2015, so it's not as confusing. Can you remember that? 15 times in 14. Got one to grow on. In case that pops up on Jeopardy or any trivia that you do. It might. 15 times in 14. Here's an especially rousing performance in Istanbul, Turkey, June 22nd, 2014. Yeah. 
Harley-Davidson, she didn't do it in 2015, and she did not perform it in 2017. The very last time she performed it was November 21st, 2014 in Brisbane at the QPAC Concert Hall. It was the second to last song of the main set, right before Blood Roses, and here it is. think we'll hear it again i kind of don't think so why well she didn't <laughs> she didn't perform it at all on her last major world tour i don't know sugar leads to inflammation it's bad for your joints as you get older it's best to just lay off the stuff so maybe our sugar days are behind us what do you think i hope not but it's true that she's never slighted that song on any other tour it's always made an appearance on every tour with the exception of gold dust but that was special circumstances mm-hmm. but even night of hunters which was also special circumstances it came out three times so it's distressing to me that she didn't do it at all in native invader and i know for a fact it was requested and did she respond to that i don't know the response but i know that someone requested it she definitely didn't respond to it on stage she didn't i would imagine it's not a particularly easy song to sing and if if she were going to continue to perform it she might have to rearrange it pretty drastically and maybe she just doesn't want to do that we have to also remember that in 2017 she was really sick for most of that tour Mm -hmm. and it's a high song that song gives her a sugar high it reaches those high notes so that could be reason why could be all right, well, it's time to leave the lounge. Can you move? I know you drink a lot of soda. Oh my God, the lights come on, the magic's over. Everybody out, go home. It's 1.45, Shuffle, out. shuffle, shuffle. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. did it we sure did that's the end that's the end that's the end do you have any final thoughts on sugar the song i continue to love it i continue to love the studio version most of all how about you i continue to love it i feel like this to me is one of her staple live songs and it's it's uh it's very rousing it's like you know your heart starts to beat when she plays those opening notes Mm -hmm. because you know it's going to be a good performance i can't imagine there ever being a bad performance of sugar and as we explored there hasn't been yeah and i mean who can blame that woman captured for all time on the Hey Jupiter live version when she screeches, Shaka! <laughs> she knows. She knows She's always going to be a banger. It. Never going to disappoint. I'm glad that you brought that up, but I picture that woman with a candy bar in her hand. Both like hands. Like a chocolate bar. Oh, yeah, both hands screaming. Shaka! Yeah. 
<laughs> and she's already taken a bite. It's melting yeah. on the sides of her mouth. It's like chalk on the side of her mouth. Exactly. <laughs> her That's eyes exactly wide, right. pupils dilated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She stands up. Meanwhile, everyone's sitting down like yes. polite. She yes. stands up. <laughs> for some reason, she's also got a ponytail or maybe even two. But she's also wearing a, like a pink sweatshirt. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in the middle of the song, she takes pixie sticks out of her pocket and like tilts her head back and just starts pouring them directly into her throat. Shut I love up! it. I love it. Sugar! <laughs> well, if you like what we do, head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos where you can become a supporter today. We have many different perks at many different levels, mostly extra audio content. If you really like what we do, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter at Songs of Tori Amos. You can leave us a voicemail at 323-296-9955. You can always reach out to us via email, songsoftoriamos at gmail.com. Or you can head over to our website, songsoftoriamos.com, to sign up for our newsletter. We won't spam you. And if history has proven anything, we hardly send out newsletters at all. (laughs) So we got to get back to that. We're making our way through the B-sides. Making our way through the B-sides. Is that the theme song to Cheers? I, no, that's uh, Making My Way Downtown. Okay. I don't know the re- I don't know is what that song Michelle, that is Michelle or the rest. Branch? Oh, yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> Making My Way Through the B-Sides. <laughs> and I miss you. And I love sugar. I know. We'll never talk about sugar again, I guess. I'm sure we will. <laughs> when in doubt, eat it. On that note, thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Keep it sweet. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com. 